Welcome to CMIO Podcast, the show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, bringing you the news to know for the week of September 13th. Got seven stories on tap. I'm going to spend a bunch of time devoted to an article out of Jamia. We'll come to it in a little bit. Really exciting and innovative work being done here, overlaying a tool on top of the EMR to really curate the data that a doctor wants to see. But we'll come to that one. I'm starting off with United Health Group CEO that the uh, pandemic pushed providers to take a more serious look at a shift to value. And this was out of Fierce Healthcare and it came out on September 11th. So more providers are looking at moving to value-based care as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And that came from the United Health Group CEO, uh, David Wichman. So the drop in revenue from Medicare fee-for-service has been scary, but thought-provoking for people to think about. This was really very vulnerable and it has been vulnerable for a long time. Talking about primary care and its reliance on volume. The shift to value-based care, he says, though, is not, uh, is not easy and it's not all value-based care is made the same. So he says that United Health Group typically takes three years to fully transition a physician practice to value-based care. Here's another quote from him. You have to have a lot of skills and resources, in particular data analytics, mechanisms to manage your practice very differently. The transition to it is very expensive. Interesting that he was speaking at this time to Optum, which is their data analytics company uh, that they that United Health Group owns. So I won't go over the rest of the details of the article, but highlighting that due to the stress that primary care is under with COVID-19 and the loss in revenue from just being able to see patients in mass. And I also think doctors are tired of just being this little hamster running on the wheel faster and faster. So not terribly surprising. Docs are looking to value-based care. Primary care doctors would love to go to value-based care. It's just that it does take a lot of resources and a totally different way of doing things. And this having the foot in each canoe thing that they describe is going to kill us. It is very difficult to do high volume care and value-based care at the same time. You are still mostly paid on fee-for-service right now. And unless you are employed and protected, making that switch to value-based care is going to be difficult. Now, if someone comes along like United Healthcare and they buy your practice, sure, now it makes sense. You'll be able to have the tools available to you. They'll have the Optum Analytics available for you, as well as well thought out disease pathways and interventions that will be able to be deployed to keep these patients out of the hospital. I think it's a great article. I think it's worth, as a CMIO, just thinking about what are the technology needs that your primary care doctors need as they start to make this journey, because it is not fast to put these things in place and many of us, particularly in the community care setting, we're behind. If you're sitting in a large academic medical institute, you may very well have those resources at your disposal. 
to develop the predictive risk algorithms that are specific to your patient population. The rest of us are buying off-the-shelf models. And those off-the-shelf models, they're okay, but what's more imp important is the intervention you're going to deploy, and we don't have those. And we don't have the care coordination happening, and that's why I think a lot of us fail at value-based care. All right, well, going to another payer entering our space kind of article. Again, Fierce Healthcare. Humana launches value-based programs focused on heart uh, surgery and shoulder replacement surgery, September 10th, 2020. Humana is launching two new value-based care programs for members of its select Medicare Advantage plans, including one to cover bypass surgery and another for total shoulder replacement procedures. The insurance giant announced the expansion of its value-based program saying the new payment bundles would result in better coordinated care and improved costs and outcomes for patients undergoing one of the two common procedures. So if you're familiar with uh, bundle payments, you, you get, it's kind of like capitated care. You get one chunk of money to manage that patient's entire condition from surgery through whatever complications they may have. So now you're seriously incentivized to reduce hospitalizations, rehospitalizations, and complications. So you say, well, we already have that. The surgeon's on a global fee. So they do the surgery, they get one fee, and that's it. Sure. But the health system, that patient could pop back into the hospital every 31 days in the hospital would be fine with it. Well, now not so much. There's probably, these bundles are usually 90 or even longer, 90 days or 180 days, where you're responsible for the cost of that care around that uh, condition. So I'm not sure of the wording in here. The patient comes in for bypass surgery and then they get admitted for a car accident. Is, is that included? I would not think so. And that's probably worded in these contracts carefully. But if they got a DVT, mm, yeah, I would, I would think that would be, be included in the bundle. So it depends on how these things are worded. Another few lines from the article. Under the new episode-based payment model, Humana provides data and analytics and financial incentives to the cardiothoracic clinicians to enhance patient care, deliver better coordinated care, and reduce duplicative services, readmissions, and complications. The model is Humana's third orthopedic value-based program following those created for total hip and total knee joint replacement surgeries and also for spinal fusion procedures. Humana is seeking significant cost savings. Oh, excuse me. Humana is seeing significant cost savings and reductions in unnecessary care through its value-based Medicare Advantage arrangements with providers. This was in its uh, annual report. The report found that Medicare Advantage members in these arrangements were admitted to the hospital 27% less often than those in traditional Medicare, and they made 14.6 fewer emergency room visits. That was the 2018 data. So. It just goes to show it's all about the incentives. When providers are incented appropriately, the patients have less complications, less need for emergency care. As CMIOs, I highlight this article because it's another insurer that is starting to squeeze us more towards that value-based care, which I think is good. I would love to see us take the leap rather than doing this in small pieces. Good that they're 
giving data analytics. However, when I have worked with Humana in the past, I'll say, you have to go to their portal to get their analytics. And as a clinician, I want to be in my EMR and get those analytics. I don't want to have to go somewhere else. And then, sure, I may be able to see what's going on with the patient, but then I want to correlate that to what's going on in their chart. I got to be switching back and forth between these entities. I, I would prefer if these health insurers would throw the data over the fence and let us use it if you have the capability and the analytic chops to get this done. And many of us don't. Let's jump to one more out of Fierce Healthcare. This one's scary. I know the health system is the latest hospital impacted by ransomware attack on software vendor, September 11th, 2020. So the attack was a ransomware attack on a third-party software vendor called BlackBot. This is a third-party service vendor that's used for fundraising and alumni or donor engagement efforts at nonprofits and universities. And they got attacked and intermittently removed data between February 7th and May 20th, 2020. The Falls Church, Virginia-based health system is notifying more than 1 million patients and donors that their personal data may have been compromised by the cyber attack. While BlackBaud prevented the cyber criminals from blocking its system access and fully encrypting its files, the attackers were successful in removing a copy of a subset of data from the vendor's self-hosted environment. The software company said it paid a ransom so that the attackers would destroy the backup file of stolen information. So crime does pay, once again. I just wonder if encrypting in place as a, as a strategy for anyone who's holding on to really sensitive information, that's gotta be the standard these days. I would think we would all encrypt our data that's in place. So if someone does break in, they're just going to get a steal encrypted data. Good luck. That stuff's not easy to crack. Now, what do I know about IT security? But I would think that's the way to go. I don't know if our own system does it or if every health system does that, but that just seems like the way to do it. One more line here. The cyber attack affected more than 25,000 nonprofit organizations worldwide, including at least 12 health systems, according to information compiled by Becker's Hospital Review. There's nothing sacred anymore. We're attacking the nonprofit organizations. My goodness. Just where are our morals these days? All right. So this is the article in Jamie I wanted to talk about. Integrated displays to improve chronic disease management and ambulatory care a smart on fire application informed by mixed methods user testing. So this was in the latest volume of Jamia. And it's really interesting what they wanted to do. So first we'll talk about why they were doing this. They're worried about cognitive load and they're worried about doctors being able to focus on certain diseases during routine follow. -up. So here's their couple lines about this. The usability issues of current EHRs can be understood within the framework of cognitive load theory. This theory states that individuals experience cognitive load when working memory is required to process information. In other words, as task complexity requires more allocation of attention and resources, cognitive load increases and performance can be hampered. Particularly for ambulatory care, in which chronic conditions are managed via multiple brief encounters over time, 
integrated EHR displays that organize information by clinical concept may better support care. So what they said earlier in the article is that the EHRs, they're not laid out by disease process. You've got the past medical history, you've got the social history, you might go somewhere else to look at the medications, you might go somewhere else to place the orders, and somewhere else to go and look at imaging. But if I wanted to look at a COPD patient, I have no place that pulls it all together in a nice neat bundle for me so I can see what is the patient missing, what do I need to do to help keep them safe, and order the things that they need. So that's what they did, is they built a tool that lays on top of Epic, they're, they're an Epic system, and using the Smart on Fire interface, they are able to pull data out of Epic and curate it, display it in an organized manner around COPD. And there's a picture, which I'm gonna, uh, I'll, I'll attempt to describe to you here. The, the picture shows the COPD management window and there's different domains and a domain really is it's really just a line item for a problem that they're looking at so you might have oxygen supplementation and if the patient's doing well and has that ordered appropriately it's got a green thumb there saying yep it's good as opposed to in this example they're showing the pneumococcal vaccination well that one's got a red bell next to it indicating that there's a problem and then on the, just scrolling across this very clean looking screen, it says order pneumo, uh, the PCV 13. And so it looks like with a click, I'd be able to go ahead and send my orders on. Lung cancer screening is another one that's showing up here. And it has relevant info that it's putting in front of me about the pack years and the, uh, the last chest CT. And then another option for order the chest CT or discuss the, you know, have the shared decision-making conversation. So they have made an a, an overlay that is focused for COPD. They have one for hypertension. I think they had another uh, disease state, uh, diabetes. They have one for diabetes as well, allowing for what they describe here as a one-stop shop, displaying information relevant to each disease and providing clinical decision support in a single view in order to reduce cognitive load, increase provider efficiency, and support evidence-based care. So, I guess now the question is, did it work? Overall performance was significantly better when Disease Manager, that's the name of their product, when Disease Manager was used. Participants performed more overall recommended care tasks using Disease Manager versus the usual EHR, 81% versus 48% for the usual EHR workflows. That's huge. That says if I need to focus on COPD, you give me a view that's curated to show me all the stuff I need about COPD and take action on it, that I'm gonna do much better care for my patient based on evidence-based care. Yeah, no kidding, of course, that's great. And the reason why I highlight this article is because I think this is the future. We are going to see more of these uh, overlays happening. So we went from the, these, you used to have a little one-off product if you're a cardiologist and you were independent, you had your own cardiology uh, specific software probably in your practice to help you see your heart patients. Then you got acquired and now you're joining a large integrated delivery system 
and you're on an enterprise EMR system, which is more generic and doesn't curate views for you around your diseases. We're kind of shifting back the other way. And this will work somewhat like the apps in the app store with that you'll say, you know what, I really want to overlay this wonderful hematology oncology module and it's going to do things for hematology and oncology that is far better than Epic or Cerner can ever do. It's just you can't focus on everything. So this that's the benefit of the Smart on Fire. That's the benefit of the 21st Century Cures Act, which is opening up these APIs. You will have the ability to lay on these third-party tools and just create incredible efficiencies and just be able to make the day easier for doctors. I think this is wonderful if you're in that value-based care world where you do want to focus on specific disease states, CHF and COPD being the ones that, in our system at least, very commonly readmitted in high utilization, high cost patients. So I would love to be able to, to focus on them and have that curated view in the EMR. I think you're going to see a ton of startups in this space and as CMIOs keep your eye on this one it's worth jumping on when you start to see products coming out that really do make the lives of uh, of these providers better it's just it's clean interface it's not cluttered up with all these other things now I don't think it's as good when I'm seeing a patient for the first time and I have to figure out what's going on with them this is more for a specific disease that I'm managing and following over time. So just keep that in mind. This is not going to replace your EMR. You're still going to need your underlying tools. All right, I got two more articles. Let's see what we can do. This one's out of EHR Intelligence and it came out September 11th. Meditech launches voice-enabled clinical EHR workflow assistant. Providers using Meditech Expanse EHR can now access a voice-enabled clinical EHR workflow aimed to help ease EHR usability and decrease clinician burden. Meditech partnered with Nuance to create Meditech Expanse Virtual Assistant, which provides intuitive voice-activated EHR navigation. By listening to voice commands, integrated virtual assistants can pick up on sophisticated dialogue and uses. Its AI skill set allows clinicians to navigate the EHR hands-free. Experts say these tools help clinicians save time while performing daily tasks, which intends to boost patient care. I think this is the trend. This is the way it's going. Meditech is joining many other EMRs that are now integrating this technology into their tool. But navigation is not really my personal pain point. I can right now, today, on my phone launch Dragon Mobile and while I'm in the exam room say hey Dragon find me the last echo uh, I would just say find echo and the last echocardiogram will appear or anytime the word echocardiogram was used is going to show up in Epic and I can just navigate to hover over the different lines that I'm seeing where echo is used and get the ejection fraction if that's what I was looking for that functionality is available today because Epic has a search toolbar, which is basically Google for your chart. And I can commit, program Dragon to say, jump into that search bar, type in the words echo and search for echo, and it will bring up all those documents. So that navigation tool, okay, interesting. 
when you can read the PDF documents that I had to scan in because our EMRs don't talk to each other, now you're talking. That, that I'd like. And if you can help present the data in a curated view, which is what the last solution was doing, that's what I need. It's not so much that I need to know the last CAT scan and then I need to know the last pulmonary function test. I need to see all of that together. And these solutions aren't quite there. So virtual assistant's good, but in my opinion, it's not quite as good as a really curated professional view. Last article, also out of EHR Intelligence, September 8th, clinician burden may discourage e-cigarette EHR documentation. So implementing a separate EHR section into the EHR to document uh, patient e-cigarette use is achievable and it provides a consistent avenue to assess e-cigarette use. However, only 6% of clinicians utilized this new section when, uh, which researchers linked to potential clinician burden. And this was a study published in U.S. Natural, National Library of Medicine. So this was Mayo Clinic that did this and they built an e-cigarette question piece in the social determinants of health area. So that's where smoking cessation lives and alcohol use. And they asked a bunch of different questions here. The frequency of e-cigarette use, the type of device utilized, number of substances used, start and end date, counseling status, and then a free text box. So uh, 6%, I'm not surprised about that. This is typically filled out by the nurses, at least in my offices. I think all the, uh, the medical assistants are doing this when they're rooming the patients. And they're checking on smoking stats, but they're not checking e-cigarettes. Why? Because the quality measures said you have to check smoking status. And we do what the quality measures say. I think this one's going to bite us in the butt somewhere. 10, 15, 20 years later, whenever we figure out that e-cigarettes had a, some kind of complication, we're not going to be able to pull up our patients and understand how many uh, equivalent to pack years or whatever they're going to use for uh, puffs per hour or whatever. We're not going to have that data. And I believe we should be collecting it because maybe one of us will be the first to raise the alarm if we start to see some signal in the noise. As we track and start to collect data on e-cigarette use and then, gee, you start seeing these funky diseases showing up in that population, you might be able to raise the flag and say, hey, other doctors, look at this. This could be something of concern. So I believe we do as CMIOs need to really encourage and help this get done. Now, why does Mayo say it didn't happen? Well, several factors could have contributed, they say. Our implementation effort in terms of educating clinicians was minimal. A one-time online communication newsletter sent to providers. Really? Mayo. Come on, guys. You know better than that. Um, first of all, it's the medical assistants that are doing this work. It's usually not the provider. So sending a newsletter to a provider is not really going to have high adoption. So, But the researchers did note this, that adding this section does increase clinician burden because now it went from a single checkbox documentation area to a section with six follow-up questions and a free entry space. And doctors may not like that. I don't know that I care what the device used was. Maybe we will in the future. 
but maybe let's curate this down to the data that we think is going to matter, which is really around are they using it or are they not, and, and the dose, so to speak, and maybe the time and the time frame with the start and stop. Try to bring this down to more manageable numbers of clicks and pieces of data entry. And I think I will stop there. Appreciate you all listening. That's our show for today. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.